number of folks that uh, have been reported to, to us this week that have COVID and uh, just got word just a few minutes ago, as maybe some of you did, that uh, Dan Brown is being taken to the emergency room this morning. His oxygen levels are down to 83, and so I want to remember Dan in our prayers as we close our service today and and all the others that have COVID as well. I know Rachel Foss's family had it, has it, and uh, Dan and Kathy both had it. And then uh, Josiah Brown. Um, I know uh, Sherry Vandermillen's daughter Donna has COVID this week, so it's it's uh, making its rounds. Uh, and so we want to pray for these people and uh, pray that God will be merciful to them. Turn with me to John chapter 1. We're going to continue our study in John 1. Uh, We're actually going to finish up John chapter 1 this morning. Uh, We've been 24 weeks, 24 lessons in John 1. I've enjoyed it very much. I've learned a great deal and uh, feel like that I am becoming coming to know these disciples And uh, that's a good thing, but a better thing yet is to know the Lord Jesus, and that's why we're studying this gospel, to see a glimpse of the life of Christ as the divine Son of God, the Messiah, and then also to see his works, the great works that he did. Follow with me, if you would, beginning at verse 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite in whom, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Fascinating passage of Scripture. We pick up our thoughts this morning on verse 45, where Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We've found the Messiah. He is from Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Philip was convinced that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. And no sooner had he supernaturally been enlightened as to this truth, he went and found Nathaniel and told him about Jesus. Now, we don't know that there was what the relationship between Philip and Nathaniel was. Was, was, he, was he his brother? Was he a close friend? Um, we don't know. And yet Philip thought enough of Nathaniel. I'm, I'm thinking maybe they were brothers. And just like when Andrew went to find Peter and John went to find James, uh, these people are gathering their family to the Messiah, which is what Christian families do. They teach their children that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He died for sinners. And so they 
he went to find Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's initial thoughts were that of skepticism about Philip's inclination of where Jesus was from. He's from Nazareth. Well, we know that Jesus was not born in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, which is what the prophets said would take place, where his birth would take place. So why is Jesus called a Nazarene so often? Well, there are two possible reasons for that. First is that in ancient times, people were often identified by the place or the town of their residence. Uh, Clement of Alexandria, Saul of Tarsus, Peter and Andrew, Bethsaida. And now we find that Jesus was of Nazareth. An example of this is found in Luke 23, verse 26, of the man called Simon who carried the cross of Jesus to Golgotha. His name was Simon of Cyrene, distinguishing him from all of the other Simons in the Bible. Nazareth was a place where Jesus lived until he began his public ministry, and then he made he made uh, Capernaum his more of his headquarters. The second reason is that Nazareth was the place where Joseph settled his family after their return from Egypt, where they fled from Herod. We see that in Matthew chapter two, verses twenty and twenty-three, where the angel told Joseph, "Arise and take the child and his mother and go to the land." Go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So he arose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, who was another son of Herod, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, that would be Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, He withdrew to the district of Galilee. So that, and he lived, he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that it would be spoken, what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now that proposes a problem. There is no scripture, no prophecy of the Old Testament that specifically says that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. Now that's different from a Nazarite. A Nazarite was one who made a vow to God, and after they'd kept the vow, they shaved their head to show that the vow was completed. A Nazarene was somebody from the town of Nazareth. So Matthew's statement about the prophecies being fulfilled simply means that Jesus would come from a low and humble place of no consequence. That's why the scripture says he would be called, or Matthew says he would be called a Nazarene. It wasn't that literally he would be called a Nazarene, but that he would come from a very low and humble place. We see in scripture... Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, that it is said, what it is said about Jesus. And we'll look closer at that in a moment. It was Philip who used this designation of Jesus to Nathaniel. To be called a Nazarene was to express feelings of loathing or contempt for someone. It's sort of like back in 2000 when Mary and I believed that the Lord would have us to move here. We began to tell people down in North Carolina, uh, and it was, let's see, it was September, October of, of that year. We moved here in October, so we began to tell people uh, about August or so that we were moving to Minnesota. And do you know what their response was? 
why do you want to move there? As though this was the worst possible place that we could go. And all, you know, in their minds, all they saw was snow and ice and sub-zero temps. Which is which is true. <laughs> Even the people in, in western Michigan said they couldn't live in Minnesota because of our temperatures. And they get 300 inches of snow a year. But that's sort of what it would have been like. Uh, what do you... Minnesota? And then I would say, yes, we're, I'm going to take a church there. I'm going to be a pastor of a church there. Good luck. That's usually like, good luck. We had no idea. Contempt, loathing for a place. This certainly fits the attitudes that Israel displayed toward Jesus as one who was despised and rejected. Luke chapter 4 speaks of it. Well, what was it about Nazareth that made Nathaniel respond that way? Nazareth was a small town in Galilee, about 55 miles north of Jerusalem. It had a very negative reputation among the Jews. Galilee by itself was looked down upon by many Jews in other parts of Israel because Galilee was so populated by so many Gentiles. You remember that Joseph, from the passage that we read, would have settled in Israel, in Judea. But because of Herod Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. And so he went to Galilee instead and settled in Nazareth. Matthew 2 verse 23 connects with Psalm 22 verses 6 and 7. And it makes sense when you see it from the view of the psalmist. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. This was what the, this is what people thought of Jesus. This is what people thought of Nazareth. Is there any good thing that can come out of Nazareth? Can, could the Messiah possibly come out of Nazareth of all places? Archaeologists have uncovered that Nazareth was a town of approximately 150 residents. It was located in a basin or a bowl, sort of like, sort of like, uh, New Orleans is, but much smaller. And it was well off of the, of the traveled path. So not many people went through Nazareth. In fact, you would have to have a real good reason to go to Nazareth. It was also, it also had a Roman administrative office very nearby Nazareth, of which Jesus would have been very familiar. John's description of Jesus' ministry is that he is accepted in Galilee, but not in Judea, even though he was of the tribe of Judah. One commentator writes this, Nathaniel had a good point. The town of Nazareth was a wicked place. He simply voiced a common proverb of the day about this wicked town. Can anything good come from there? One other point to be made here is that Philip did not wither away or wilt at the opposition of Nathaniel, but he did what we should all do when we receive opposition about Jesus. He simply said, come and see for yourself. Isn't that what we should do? Should we not challenge an unthinking world to see who Jesus really is? He challenged him 
to find out the facts for himself. Something that most people don't do in any quarter of their lives anymore. And if they don't, then it is not on your head. Now notice verse 47 and following. Nathanael was coming toward him and he said, Behold, an Israelite and he indeed in whom there is no deceit. So Nathanael is going with Philip who had found him. And you remember the word found is a very descriptive word. It means to guide or to lead someone. It's almost as though Philip grabs Nathanael by the arm and says, Come on, come and see for yourself. And he's taking him to Jesus. And so he had been challenged with come and see. And so Jesus saw him coming to him and said, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now some may say, you see, Nathaniel came to Jesus of his own volition. He was challenged, come and see, and he decided, okay, I'll come and see. But that would be an error. No one comes to Jesus of their own free will. John chapter 6 verse 44 says they cannot come to him. And Romans chapter 3 verse 11 says no one seeks after him. This was a supernaturally, supernaturally drawn incident through Philip's testimony of the scriptures. We have found him whom Moses and the prophets spoke. He alluded to the scriptures. Now we're not told that he quoted any scripture to him, but Philip would have known the scriptures. And so did Nathaniel. Maybe he, maybe he quoted some scriptures. We don't know. But the fact that he mentions the scriptures speaks of the supernatural character of this event. Linsky writes in his commentary, Come and see is a call and an invitation. And while it is extended through Philip, it comes from Jesus himself who uses us to call others. Anyone who comes to Christ comes through a supernatural event that God orchestrates. Not the person themselves. Not off of their own volition. For our own inclination is to flee as far from God as we can get in our lost sinful state. It's God who finds us. It's God who calls us. It's God who draws us to the Savior. This is supernatural because we see Jesus already knew Nathaniel through supernatural power. Having never met Jesus personally, Nathaniel was astonished to hear him speak of very personal character qualities. Now, you and I can't do this. There are some who are better at discernment than others about people. My mother was extremely discernful about people. She could tell things about them that would come to pass in time that she would say way before it ever came to pass. Now, I don't know how she did that, but it wasn't a divine thing necessarily. But Jesus knew Nathaniel from the inside out. So what did he mean when he said this of Nathaniel? Well, he was not speaking of him as though he had no character flaws or though as though he were not a sinner. Because we know that all are born in sin. All have character flaws. Everyone sins. He was speaking of him as in the, in the light of his genuineness as an Israelite. The New Living Translation paraphrases it like this. Now here is a genuine son of Israel. A man of complete integrity. A genuine son 
of Israel. He was a man who lived up to the covenant name of Israel. He was an Israelite at its best. The Apostle Paul speaks of this kind of Jew. In Romans chapter 2 verse 29. He says this. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit. Not by the letter. Not by the law. His praise is not from man but from God. This is what a true Jew looks like. This was the, this is what Abraham looked like on the inside. This is what you and I look like in Christ on the inside. For we are the sons of Abraham spiritually. Now I want you to notice the word deceit. <clears throat> if you use the old King James, you'll see the word guile. The one in whom there is no deceit or guile. The word deceit means one who is shrewd or skilled in deception. Not just a deceiver, but one who knows how to use deception for his own advantage. The history of Israel is riddled with deception. From From the very first one, Abraham, who was called by God as the first Israelite, when he deceived Pharaoh into believing that his wife Sarah was his sister. And that almost turned into disaster. God turned the day and got him out of that. And then he turned around and did it again with Abimelech in Genesis chapter 20. Deception. Jacob followed in his grandfather's footsteps. Deceived his brother, his father, and his brother-in-law in Genesis chapter 27 and 28. In fact, the word Jacob means deceiver. His name was changed to Israel, the prince. The trait of deceit and hypocrisy had made its way from the line of Jacob all the way up through to Nathanael's day. Jesus spoke of the hypocrites, the deceivers of his day in Matthew chapter 6. Thus, when you give to the needy, he told his disciples, don't sound the trumpet before you like the hypocrites do. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites and look all sad and, and run down. Jesus was aware of the malice of the Jews in Matthew 22. And he said, why do you put put me to the test, you hypocrites, you deceivers? Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You see, hypocrisy and deception are very close brothers. And they operate together. With schemes to fool people into thinking something that's not true. One translator of this passage puts it like this. Behold an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. Hmm. In whom there's no Jacob. You're not like Jacob. You're not a deceptive person. The Jews thrived on deception. Remember Shechem? Oh yes, you can have our, our, our sister Dinah as your wife and we'll take you in. And what did they do? When they'd been circumcised and they were in the throes of pain, they came in and slaughtered them all. Deceived them. This is a history of the Jewish people. The question to be asked here is how does Jesus see us on the inside? Oh, we can put on good faces. We can wear our masks. We can come into church and we can say everything's just fine and dandy. And then we go out and things are not fine. 
And we deceive people into thinking we're something we're not. How does he see us on the inside? He knew what the heart of Nathaniel was like. He did not just look at him as other men do. He could see his motives. He could see the sincerity of his inner self. <clears throat> That's the way he looks at each of us. Our hearts are so deceitful that we can know the sin and sincerity within ourselves and excuse it away as though it is a normal part of our lives that we just simply have to put up with. Well, that's just the way I am. I've said it of myself. You've said it of yourself. It's just me. It's just the way I am. And sometimes we tell our wives or we tell our husbands, just get used to it. But that's deceit. This is the way Jesus looks at us. Linsky again. Church men and entire church bodies while making loud profession in musical tones yet squint secretly at popular opinion, human authorities, supposed advantages, and with fair sounding excuses deviate from the word. I don't want to be like that. And if you're walking with Christ and you love Christ, you don't want to be like that either. Deceit is one of our greatest enemies. It kept the Jewish nation from receiving Christ. It proved to be the curse of Judas. And it sought to wreck Peter's spiritual life and faith. We must guard against it and fight against this, this evil enemy which seeks to work its malicious intent against us. The world operates off of deceit. Politics operates off of deceit. What politician have you heard made promises and really kept them? As Jesus was making these statements about this man whom he had never met, he immediately, he knew intimately, Nathaniel says to him, how do you know me? Wouldn't you be a little bit curious if someone came up to you you'd never met and all of a sudden they know things about you that they maybe shouldn't know? You'd be thinking, who is this? Who are you? How do you know, how do you know this about me? I remember years ago, uh, uh, Glenette Cleveland, who's gone to be with the Lord now. When I hadn't been here very long, and I, I must have said something about soap operas. And she's sitting right there. She came up to me after the service, and she says, How did you know? I said, Know what? How did you know that I was watching soap operas? I said, I didn't know. Jesus knew. And must have been something in that that convicted her. Uh, and she was admit, she admitted it. How do you know me, Nathaniel says. He's actually saying, how and when did you come to know my personal experience? And how did you know that about me? Though Jesus was fully man, he was also fully God. And though he limited himself during his earthly ministry, there are those times, so to speak, when he would pull back the curtain and we could see his God qualities. This is one of them. It's omniscience and omnipresence. Nathaniel, I saw you. I saw you under the tree. Nathaniel, I was there. You didn't see me, but I was there. Specifically, he is the God-man and he knows everything about everyone. And he did in his earthly life. He could see the hearts of people. He knew their thoughts. Jesus answer reaches deeper than Nathaniel could have ever expected. 
Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So here he states the, the place, the time, and the circumstances of his intimate knowledge of Nathaniel. A person he had never met physically to that point. Now Jesus didn't say, hey, I knew you. He said, I saw you. I saw you. I perceived you. I observed you under the fig tree. Even though he was not present at the scene, Jesus' explanation showed not only that he knew Nathaniel's present, but he also knew his past. What was Nathaniel doing under that fig tree? Well, maybe, and I think it's very likely that he may have been contemplating or meditating on Jacob. Why do I say that? Because of Jesus' statement. Here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Maybe Nathaniel's thinking about Jacob and all the deception that he that he did during his life, and he's thinking to himself, I don't want to be like Jacob. God knows our innermost being and all that is in us from the time of our conception to the moment that our life, our soul, leaves our mortal bodies. He knows it all. John chapter 4, verse 39, the woman said, the Samaritan woman said, He told me everything I ever did. Turn to Psalm 139 with me. Psalm 139, notice verses 1 through 6, verse 13, verses 15 and 16. In that order. The psalmist writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. So he's saying, there's nothing hidden. You know all about me. And then he gets very descriptive. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar, from a distance. You can read my thoughts. You search my path and my lying down and you're acquainted with all of my ways. You know all of my idiosyncrasies. You know all of my my quirks and desires. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. He knows what we're going to say before we say it. You hem me in. Behind and before you lay your hand on me. He's always around us. He's always on us. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can't, I cannot attain to that. I can't consider it. My mind is blown. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. There is your Proof that life begins at conception. That makes abortion murder. Whether they want to admit it or not, it's murder. Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me. God has our days formed and numbered. We all have have a beginning. And we all have an end. In this life. Every one of them. The days that were formed for me. When as yet... There was none of them. The days hadn't come yet. And yet you had them all planned out. These kinds of musings, these kinds of meditations, the rabbis would often do under the shade of a fig tree or some other sort of tree. Fig trees are very 
full foliage trees and they, they provide a lot of shade from the hot sun. And so rabbis would do their studies under the fig tree. In fact, the Talmud encourages, encouraged men to meditate under the shade of a tree and reflect on the scriptures. Nathaniel was probably doing just that. Under that fig tree when Jesus saw him. And so the fig tree in scripture became a symbol of protection and covering. 1 Kings 4.25, and Judah and Israel lived in in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree in the days of Solomon. Zechariah 3 verse 10, in that day declares the Lord, speaking of the millennial kingdom, in that day declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Something else here that we can see about Nathaniel is, is that he was a man who was looking for the Messiah. Any devout Jew who believed the scriptures was looking for the Messiah to come. Nathaniel was that kind of man. He knew what the scriptures taught concerning the Messiah. And that's why he questioned, one of the reasons he questioned Nazareth Because there was no scripture that said that the Messiah would come out of Nazareth. He'd been studying the scriptures and so his heart was ready to receive the truth about who Jesus was. And so at Jesus' words, Nathanael was divinely convinced that Jesus was indeed the long-awaited Messiah. He states even more than that. Notice what he says. He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathaniel recognizes Jesus as a teacher of the Jews and calls him rabbi, which means teacher. Every Jew that studied the scriptures knew that the Messiah would be their king Zephaniah 3.15, Zechariah 9 verse 9 speaks of him as king. But Nathanael went further to reveal a supernatural knowledge given to him at this moment that Jesus was not only the Messiah, but that he was the Son of God. Where did he get that from? He got it from Scripture. Psalm chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 speak of Jesus as the Son of And as the king. Divine knowledge that came to him through the scriptures from heaven. No one recognizes Jesus like this. Except it's given to him from heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 16. When Peter replied you are the Christ. The son of the living God. He answered blessed are you Simon. For flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But my father revealed it to you from heaven. These are heavenly. Heavenly. Bits of knowledge. It seems as though Nathaniel's Nathaniel's speaking this was involuntary, an involuntary response. It just sort of came out of him. The doubts had vanished away, and instantly he begins to testify of Christ as the Son of God, the King of Israel. You're the Messiah. We've been waiting for you. Throughout Jesus' ministry, there were those who saw the innumerable miracles, the wondrous supernatural works that Jesus did, and yet refused to believe that He was from the Father. And here's Nathaniel speaking it out instantly when he realizes that God has shown him Jesus is His Messiah. True faith is not imparted by miracles or wonders, but by the truth of the Word of God. Let me say that again. True faith is not imparted by miracles and wonders, but by the Word of God. 
This is where the health, wealth, and prosperity people have it all wrong. They, they think and live in terms of miracles. And they think that seeing miracles is going to bring them into a relationship with God. And it won't. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. I want to show you this. Galatians 3. Notice verses 2 through 5. Or I should say 2 and 5. 2 and 5. So Paul is dealing with this with the Galatians in a different way. He's dealing with Jews who thought that, you know, they they could depend on the law and the things of the law to make them right with God. Notice what he says. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Oh, wow. You could say that to the health, wealth, and prosperity person. Did you receive, did you receive the things of God by watching and seeing miracles or by the Word of God? By the Bible. Verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. In other words, does God save you through seeing miracles? Or by hearing the word of God, the gospel? You see how dangerous this becomes? Thousands of individuals are being duped. To believe that they can have a relationship with God in some other way than by hearing and obeying the gospel. Romans chapter 10 verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. That's how it comes. You cannot get faith any other way. I don't know how to be more emphatic. This is what gives life to the dead souls and changes the hearts of people. It is the word of God. God has empowered his word with the ability to give life and sustain faith. It's all in the word. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing To the division of soul and spirit. To the joints and marrow. And discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. Only God's word can do that. So Jesus. Says to Nathaniel. This is sort of. This is sort of a. If I were Nathaniel. I would have felt a little bit let down. Think about it. Oh here comes a Jew. He's not like Jacob. There's no deception in this one. How do you know me? Well, I saw you under the fig tree. When you were there. When you were musing over the scriptures. I saw you. I know you. Oh, you're, you're the son of God. You are the, you're the Christ. You're our king. Huh. You think that's something? You believe because I said that to you? How would you feel if you were said, if you'd said what Nathaniel did and you got that response? Or you think that's something, do you? You're impressed with that? I'm going to tell you something, Nathaniel. You're going to see a lot greater things than that. In fact, you're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, why do you think he said that? He said that because that's what happened to Jacob. When he was fleeing from his brother Esau. And he went up into the hill country. And he was so tired and so discouraged. He laid his head down on a rock and went to sleep. And in his dream God showed him a ladder. That reached up into heaven. And on that ladder were angels. Climbing up and down and up and down and then if you recall the story he began to speak with an angel and he began to wrestle with that angel for a blessing and he ended up getting the blessing but not before the angel touched his thigh and pulled it out of joint 
And he limped on that thigh for the rest of his life. But his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. No longer will you be Jacob, the deceiver. You will be Israel, the prince. And from you will come the blessing of your father, Abraham. Jesus is saying to Nathanael, I'm telling you the solemn truth. I am the ladder. I'm the way into heaven. And no one gets in except through me. That's what he wanted Nathanael to know. And that's the greater thing that he would see. That it's a great thing to see the angels descending and ascending. But when they descend on the Son of Man, they're telling that Jesus is the way in. He's the only way in. That's the greater thing. Nathaniel saw it. The point of his statement is that he is the mediator between God and man. He is the mediator and ratifier of the new covenant. And these truths would become ever clearer as Nathaniel followed Jesus and learned from him as the Son of God and as the Messiah. Can we learn of him the same way? We absolutely can. It's the same today as it was then. Jesus said, abide in my words and my word will abide in you. And you will be my disciples indeed. So I pray that that's what we'll do. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, being here today. We, we want to remember those that have COVID. Um, many of you may know or have met uh, Sherry Vandermillen. Uh, Sherry was here a couple of weeks ago with her daughter, Donna. Donna has come down with COVID. Dan and Kathy Brown, of course, we talked about a moment ago, have COVID. The Fosses have COVID. So it's making its way around uh, a few homes. If you're sick, uh, stay home and don't spread it. And, uh, you know, you still have a 99.85 to 99.9% of chance of recovery if you get it. <clears throat> so we want to pray for these people, that God will bless them, and, and particularly for Dan, whose oxygen levels have dropped low. So we'll remember that as we close. Let me give you just a little update on Paul. Paul is going back this week to North Carolina for more laser treatments. There has been some improvement in his facial muscles and neck muscles with with the previous laser treatments. So he's going to have that. And he's also, he's also having extensive tests done to see uh, what foods are helping or not helping him. And uh, he's, it's just a lot. So... Pray for them as they travel to North Carolina and back. And for the uh, extra finances it takes, the Lord has provided uh, the finances that it takes for him to have these kinds of treatment because they are not covered by insurance. So pray for that. And uh, then there was one other thing. Ah, yes. We got, we, we got word this week from credible sources that the conditions in Afghanistan are far worse than we can imagine. Far worse. I cannot tell you some of the specifics because it can't be known as yet. When it's become known publicly, then I'll, more publicly, then I'll tell you. But just pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Also, I want to announce that um, we have a band of brothers today at 5 o'clock in the upper room. So, guys, uh, if you'd like to come and join in with us, that's, we'll be here at 5. And uh, Ladies' Bible Study is next week in the upper room at 5 o'clock as well. Also, in your bulletins, you will notice that there is an RSVP under the, uh, under the uh, shower, the baby shower for Naomi Shutt. And Stephanie has asked if you would RSVP her number. It's in the bulletin for you by Tuesday this week if you're planning to come. So if you'll do that, that'll be a great help.
we're back into fit. We had a great uh, families and training time this morning and uh, invite you to come if that's something that you would like to be involved in. I think that's all that I have. There's a, uh, of course, the conference, the Common Slaves Conference coming up on the 29th. And uh, some have said that already that they'd like to go. And so I'm, I'm planning on going. So uh, we'll see how that goes. It's going to be on the doctrines of grace. It should be a great, a great time. I can't think of anything else. No suckers today, kids. Sorry. They're saying, well, that's the announcement I was waiting for, that you had suckers. Not today. All right. Jared, you'll come and pray and close the service. All right. I'll just jot some of these down so I don't forget the pastor mentioned. Okay, other prayer requests? Anyone? Yeah, I think we'll make a group prayer out of that. And what's the family name? Suffin. All right, let's go to Lord in prayer. Lord God, you are holy God. There's none like you. You are king of all things, and yet you hear our prayers. You are in relationship with us, 